0: Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. So why don't you open your Bibles if you've got them or the text will appear on the, on the screen. I'm not sure how easily you, you'll be able to read it. Can you flick onto the first um, Bible text thing, John? I think it's a couple of slides on. There you go. That's how big I have to get it to get everything on the screen. So if you can't read that, then I suggest you get your phone out or get your your actual printed Bible out and get it up. We're reading from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 to 17 this morning. You know, the word of God is his revelation, but it comes to us in this particular form, in this bundle of ancient texts. So we need to do a bit of work to understand how we can read it, what it means for us today. So we can receive it into our hearts. So, 1 Peter 2, verse 4 onwards. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should not put to silence you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover up for evil but living as servants of god honor everyone love the brotherhood fear god honor the emperor okay The great uh, reformer and the man of God, Martin Luther, um, he wrote uh, a kind of, I don't know what you'd call it really, an essay maybe, a short pamphlet uh, called On the Christian of the Freedom. And he wrote it near the start of the Reformation before things had really got going. And in it, he uh, put these two statements. Sorry, John, if we can, there they are, there you go. He said this, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. And uh, in this kind of rich bit of theology that he wrote, he goes on to tease out uh, what it means to be free as a Christian and how both these statements can be true. And in what we've read this morning, I think we address some of the dynamics of Christian freedom. So I want you to kind of hold on to this quote in your minds as we go through the text. We'll come back to it at the end of our morning. If you were here two weeks ago, when we were last in 1 Peter, Tim uh, preached on holiness. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 15, Peter uh, writes this. He writes, as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. And Tim uh, talked about the importance of getting things the right way round in the Christian life, and particularly with regards to holiness. So um, we're not We're not holy so that we can become God's children. We're not holy so that we can know God and walk with him. But because we are saved, because we're children of God, so we can be holy. Justification comes before sanctification. Identity comes before activity. Being God's children comes before acting as God's children. And so too, in our passage today, you may have noticed as we read through Peter talks more about what it means to live a holy life, but in the first half of what we read, he talks about who we are, and then he goes on to talk about how we should behave. So we see the same pattern this morning. Let's look again at verses uh, 4 to 10, which focus on who we are. So verse 4 again, as you come to him, Jesus this is. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter's continuing to teach the church who they are here. If you remember back at the start of January when we kicked off 1 Peter, We saw that in the very first verse, Peter talks about the church's identity. He says, you are elect exiles of the dispersion. And we explained in that morning that Peter was saying in in a language that made sense to them, you are now the people of God. You belong to him. He he calls these, and he's elaborating on this here. He, He calls these churches, these churches of Gentiles scattered all over modern Turkey, ancient Asia Minor. And he says to them that you are uh, just as the, sorry, he says to them that just as the people of God, uh, when the people of God was Israel, uh, there was a temple in Jerusalem, this was the spiritual house. He says, well, now you are, you are the blocks of the spiritual house. The people of God is no longer Jews. The temple of God is no longer the spiritual house where God is particularly present, but you are now. Uh, the blocks of the temple. You are now the place where God is going to be present. Back when the Jews were, the people of God was just the Jews, the Levites were the priests. They offered animal sacrifices. Peter says, no, no, now you are holy priests. You are offering spiritual sacrifices. That might, you know, sound a bit detached for us, but can we just pause and take in the sort of significance of this for us? If you are living stones being built into the spiritual house, you know, the temple was the one place where God had promised to be particularly present. In one sense, the presence of God fills the earth, but he had said, I will be particularly present in the temple in Jerusalem. That will be the intense place of my presence on the earth. Now, that place is amongst us. That's what Peter's saying. We are the temple. We are the place where God has promised He will be particularly present on earth. Like, how do you think of the church? Like, how do you imagine the people of God? Because it's easy, isn't it, to um, to denigrate? I think us as the church to, you know, be in touch with the frustrations and um, the things that are imperfect but what if we really grasped that who we are is the place where God has promised that he will be more present than anywhere else on earth is amongst us like would that start to impact the way that we that we thought of ourselves of gathering together of following Jesus together of, of being part of the church you know, we, we often have seasons where we go looking for God, don't we? And the, the irony is he's always looking for us first, as the song says, but we feel we're looking for him. And there's one place where Jesus has said he's going to be particularly present till he comes again, where two or three are gathered in his name. That's kind of, there's two, there's two things I want you to take in this morning. This is one of them, okay? Let's get that in our heads of the importance of church people of God okay yeah there we go so that's 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 who we are and keeping with that image the piece then goes on to contrast two views of Jesus and he picks out Old Testament texts. you know he refers to the scriptures Isaiah and the Psalms and he says that Jesus is either the cornerstone he's either the foundation on which everything is built or he's the stumbling block that we trip over. Either, um, you know, for those of us that follow Jesus, for those of us that are the new temple, anything worthwhile has to be built on the cornerstone, doesn't it? It's built on Jesus. Or we reject him. He becomes the stumbling stone. As in Paul's words, Jesus is the wisdom of God to those who are being saved and the foolishness to those who are perishing. Uh, To one, he's the aroma of life. To the other, he's the aroma of death. And there is a mystery in this, isn't there? You know, why does some come to know and love Jesus as the cornerstone? And why does some reject him as the stumbling block? And verse 8 expresses the tension that we find all the time in the scriptures about this mystery. Um, You know, they stumble because they disobey the word. That's human choice. They choose to disobey the word. As they were destined to do god 's in control, and whenever we come to these sort of themes, we find the Bible holds on to this tension between humans have to make responsible choices that 's why some accept Jesus, some reject him. God is in control, and nothing is outside of his his hands and um, there 's no time this morning to kind of spell out some of that. Theology, but if this is a tension that troubles you, come and speak to me afterwards and I can direct you to some more substantial teaching we've done on it. Or hold on for the whole church teaching on suffering that is coming up kind of in March because we will have to wrestle with that tension in a significant way as we come to terms with suffering. For now, the point I want you to grasp this morning is Jesus is the great divider. He's either the cornerstone or the stumbling block, He's either God or He's not. What we make of Jesus is, in the end, literally the most important thing in the world. He is the great divider. And so Peter finishes this little section by encouraging the churches again, those who have accepted Jesus. And he says, you know, you've accepted Jesus. He's become the cornerstone. So now you are, and let's read these for you as well. Let's up the next slide, please, John. Here we go. So you are, you and I are now chosen race. Holy priesthood, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you, all of you in this room, and me as well, once we were not a people, now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, and now we have received mercy. That's who we are. How then should we live? How then should we live? And let's turn to the second half of our text. Verse 11. So how should we live? I urge you, sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Tim talked about that two weeks ago, didn't he? You know, the, the, uh, the sins which we desire for instant gratification, but rip out our soul. And as he said then, it's, you know, now you're called to be holy. You can just put those things away. That's how Peter said, just put those things away. Putting them away may take 20 years, 30 years, but put those things away. You're called to be holy. Today, I want to focus uh, not on abstaining from the passion of the flesh. I thought Tim dealt with that really well. But the second thing that Peter says about how we should live, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How do humans normally behave when they are a special people with enormous privileges, a fantastic inheritance, and um, because of these rights are essentially free from the cords that hold many of us to our patterns. How do people with privilege normally behave? Well, in God's kingdom, the upside down kingdom, having these glorious freedoms and the privileged inheritance means that we should live in submission, in surrender, in sacrifice. We should be, as verse 14 says, subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution Who else kind of flinches (laughs) when you hear that? Especially at the moment, eh? Be subject to every human institution. Oh, those of you who know me well won't be surprised to know that I find this one of the hardest commands in the New Testament. We don't have emperors and governors, as Peter talks about, but we have a government, don't we? We have legal systems, we have social systems, These human institutions be subject to them for the lord's sake that is hard why partly because in my sin you show me a rule i'll tell you why we should break it partly because i disagree with the authorities and let's face it i'm right and they are wrong I find them unreasonable. I find them unfair. Truth be told, I find I don't like doing what I'm told. I think I know better. But the difficult thing for people like me, which I've reflected on again as I've prepared this this text, the difficult thing for people like me is that Peter seems entirely uninterested in whether the authorities are good or fair, or right. In fact, the New Testament takes it for granted that they're not. The emperor is the blasphemous antichrist claiming to be divine when he's not. The Roman economic system is the great prostitute that corrupts all the kings of the earth. The social system is like Babylon that oppresses the people of God. That's like the normal view of human institutions in the New Testament. And yet, I am called to submit to human authority. That is taken for granted. That it's not right. The authority is not always right. That's taken for granted. I'm called to submit. Tough command. So why? Why? Why should I submit to human authority? And I think the text gives us three reasons. First of all, because human authorities have been given power by God and a mandate by God to keep order in society. Okay, that's another common theme in the New Testament. Anarchy, there is no blessing in anarchy. That's the clear message of the Bible. Human hubris, human evil Human sin is so out of control that society needs order. And God's part of God's provision in fallen worlds is that human authority provides order to society. And I'm called to submit to it. If I don't submit to authority, then I'm working against God's provision for fallen mankind rather than working with it. That's the first reason he gives. Um, That's what he's talking about in verses 14. You know, the governor sent by to punish those who do evil and praise those who do God. You might think of Romans 13 here as well. Um, And some other texts. Second reason, why should I submit? So that people who want to slander us and accuse us may not have foundations for their accusations. Let's face it, Satan and those who reject Jesus will always be trying to undermine the church. In every season of life, in every age, there will be an attempt to undermine the church of God. Uh, You know, um, as Peter puts it in another place, there's an enemy that wages war against our souls in many ways. One of the ways is to undermine, undermine the kind of reputation and the credibility of the church. So the second reason that I'm to submit to human authority is so that there is not ground for those accusations. And thirdly and finally, perhaps surprisingly, Peter says that we do this for the sake of winning others to Christ. For the sake of winning others to Christ. Let me just find that here we go. So this is in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As I submit to human authority, We draw others to Christ. We draw others to the glory of God. They see our good deeds. They see that accusations are false and come to glorify God. It's a painful realisation to know that our conduct is always either inclining people towards God or away from him as Christians. We're not responsible for saving people, correct? Truth is, how you behave will either incline people towards God or away from him because you bear his name. You bear his name. Again, it's a biblical tension. We can't take on too much responsibility in this regard, nor can we shirk it. Nor can we shirk it. As a pastor, um, so much of the time, you know, there is accompanying people on a long way back from being significantly put off by God, significantly put off Jesus by the behaviour of Christians. (laughs) You know, that's kind of always true in a fallen world, isn't it? Anyway... There you go, three reasons. And Peter sums this all up, I think, in the final two verses that we're looking at today. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Live as people who are free. But freedom does not mean doing whatever we want. You are the people of God. You're chosen, you're holy, you don't really belong to this world of sin anymore, you're exiles, you're awaiting the resurrection, you're awaiting the renewal of all things. So having this freedom, use it to submit to authority and so honour God's will. Give enemies no cause for accusation, win others for Jesus. But isn't it revealing what else he says here? Don't use it as a cover-up for evil. What evil do you think he means Do you know what evil I think he means? I think he's talking about the evil of pride. Me living my way because I want to and I know best. Don't use your freedom to insist on getting your own way. This is just a cover-up for evil. I think that's what he's saying. This is a cover-up for evil. That has convicted me this week. I wonder if it convicts you how often I can give elaborate arguments, elaborate reasons for why I'm not submitting to various kinds of authority. And the truth is, when it really gets down to it, I just don't want to do what I'm told. I want to do what I want to do. And when that's the case, the truth is, Peter says, I'm covering up my evil with pretty looking clothes of freedom. I can hear the unspoken voice of some of you saying, but surely there's a time to disobey. Surely there's a point of resisting evil authority. If we look through history, haven't there been times it's been right for Christians to disobey? Yes, absolutely. There's not time this morning to kind of unpack a full theology of civil disobedience. But I think verse 17 is kind of a good rule of thumb for this. Maybe it's enough for us at the moment. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. You can't get clearer than that, can you? And I suggest that the only grounds we have for disobeying the final command, kind of honouring human authority, is if it is in direct conflict with one of those other three commands. If to honour the emperor means we have to stop fearing God, we have grounds for disobedience. If to honour authority means we have to stop loving our church family or treating other people as people, we have grounds for disobedience. And there will be times where this is the case. But I know that for myself as I prepared this, they were not the majority of the times. The majority of the times were because Of my pride, because I don't like being told what to do. So let's return to Letha's two statements and we'll pray, shall we? And then we'll move into communion. Is that clock on the wall right? It is. Great, we've got time. Here you go. You are perfectly free. You're a Lord of all, subject to none. You do not have to do what other people say. You're a child of God. You don't have to fear other people's intimidation. God's more powerful than them. He that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. Live as free. Don't be intimidated, coerced, manipulated. Don't be controlled. You're free. You're children of God. You are perfectly dutiful servants, subject to all. Don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Use it to submit, to serve, to honour to give enemies no grounding for accusations. Through your conduct, win people to Christ. Okay? Father, help us. We open our hearts to you now. Your reckless pursuing love just doesn't leave us alone, Lord. You chase us down to every part of our life. Including how we respond to the human systems that we live within. And it's frustrating, Lord, because sometimes I just want to do what I want to do. And you pursue me and you pursue us. And you say, no, there is a better way. There is a better way. So, Lord, help us, help me, help us to repent. To recognize we don't serve human authority because it's good, because we love it, because we agree with it. We serve it for the Lord's sake. We serve it for your sake. Lord, we don't want to be spineless people that can never stand up for what's right because we're afraid. Don't make us that. Make us courageous and fearless, knowing that we're held in your hand. But don't let us use our freedom for evil. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, What we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website www.amblecoachristiancentre.org.uk